Well, last night was a great time. We had a, an evening of, of celebration for the many people who volunteer at the church. It was an open-ended invitation for all who serve. And I just got to ask, do any of the rest of you still feel full? <laughs> wow. That was a great time. God spared us from the rain for that, uh, those few hours, and uh, it was beautiful. It's exciting to be a part of a church where, where so many of you just actively jump in and use your gifts. This morning, I want to talk about the mission of the church. Not just our church, but the church in the world. i got a few quotes that I want us to chew on as, as we jump in. One is from a lady named Nina Gunter. She said, if you take missions out of the Bible, you won't have anything left but the covers. Eddie Ho said, God was the first ever missionary when in Genesis 3.8 he went out in search of two sinners who had rebelled against him. Right from the beginning, it's missions. C.T. Studd said this, Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. He wanted to go where the people needed to hear about the life-giving message of Jesus. John Keith Falconer, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. One more, John Piper, God is pursuing with omnipotent passion a worldwide purpose of gathering joyful worshipers for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has an inexhaustible enthusiasm. Therefore, let us bring our affections into line with His. And for the sake of His name, let us renounce the quest for worldly comforts and join His global purpose. I don't know about you, but when I read those quotes, they excite me. They encourage me that we're here for a reason. We're not just sort of drifting through. We're not here on accident. There is a purpose behind my life in your life, and it is to take Jesus and His gospel message to a world that needs it. So this morning, we're going to have a little bit of a MIT, all right? not the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, but Missionaries in Training. We're going to have a Missionaries in Training moment, because we're going to look at a passage where Jesus had 72 people that He sent out two by two to spread His word and to prepare the way for Him to come. And as we look at their mission, we're going to quickly hit seven things that they learned that will inspire us in our mission. Alright? I know some of you heard the, the number seven. You say, oh boy, we're in for a long one. I'm going <laughs> to... Most pastors stop at three. Usually I do. <laughs> but this morning, and we're just going to fly through them. I hope they'll speak to you like they, like they challenged me. Uh, the first idea, as we go out there with the good news of Jesus Christ, that He came to die for the sins of the world, and He rose again, that whoever would trust in Him could be set free. First thing we want to go with is, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. As, as we go, keep praying for God to send backup with you, okay? Where do we get this? Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, and this after this is important. You remember last week we talked about three guys that had excuses for why they didn't want to go? Okay, these 72 are in contrast to that because they're going to go. So after the excuses, the Lord appointed 72 others 
and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So as we look at this idea, don't go it alone. Ask the Lord for backup. I want to ask you, who are you going with? I'm telling you, if you've tried like I have at times in your life to do it alone, it's discouraging. Alright? God didn't say go two by two on accident. He knew that we were built to do this together. Who are you going with? And are you praying for more to be sent out? I think one of the things that, that maybe scares us about sharing the good news of the gospel is we all picture maybe one way of doing it. Like we all picture going door to door, going cold turkey, saying, hi, I don't know you, but I want to talk to you about the most important matters in your life. Got a minute? (laughs) God uses that, okay? Don't get me wrong, but that's not the only way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We all have different gifts, and so when we talk about our missional communities, our small groups that meet during the week, one of the fun things about that is you get together and there's a bunch of different gifts represented. There's people in the group that love to talk and are good at teaching the truth about the Bible. There are other people that that idea freaks them out, but you know what? They're great at opening up their home and and serving food. There's other people in the group that are great at bringing people and bringing their friends. And there's other people that love to serve. And as that combination of gifts come together, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I can do this because I'm a part of a team and I don't have to have all the gifts because these people with me have them. It's fun. Uh, Sometimes I think we fall into the trap of thinking whenever someone brings up missions and sharing Jesus, words like torture and and, uh, suffering for Jesus and (laughs) all all these things come to mind. We, We forget that it can actually be an enjoyable experience when we serve Jesus together in this teamwork fashion. I want to share a real practical example. Teamwork is kind of an abstract idea, but something I saw this week. Three groups coming together that ministered to a young man's life. Tonka didn't know I was going to say this, all right? (laughs) Wednesday, we were out there with our missional community uh, at the Helping Hands Men's Shelter, and we were helping patch up the downstairs, and while we were patching, we had a great time. And it got even better at the end. They brought in these pizzas and these, the wings at the end of the night. And we got to eat together. And while, while we were eating that pizza, a young man that's there at the, the, the men's shelter, Trevor, got to talking to me about God working in his life. And as he talked to me, I thought about something really cool. Tonka and these guys, Charlie and Howard, have been pouring into Trevor's life. You know, God's been using their passion for that shelter to pour into his life. Bob went out there and led, led a missional community out there. That's how we got to know him. And then Trevor came to church last week. And when we were eating that pizza on Wednesday, Trevor just shared with me, hey, God was really speaking to me Sunday morning. And I said, what was God speaking to you about? And he said, just that plow idea, just locking my eyes on Jesus and following him. <laughs> following him. And I, and I looked at that and I was like, you know what? There's teamwork in action. 
Not everybody's called like Tonka and Charlie to lead a men's ministry at a shelter. Not everybody in our church is called to go with that missional community. But we're all called to do our part. And you can see how it's coming together in Trevor's life just to, to make a difference. Teamwork. Very cool. So don't go it alone. Number two, depend on God as you go. And stay focused. Listen to verse 3. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Okay, you talk about a picture of vulnerability. This soft, fluffy lamb (laughs) surrounded by sharp-toothed wolves. Don't take your money. Don't take your shoes. (laughs) Don't take your sandals. Jesus is telling these guys, I want you in a, a, a position where you totally depend on me for everything. Right? And while the specifics of not taking a purse or bag or sandals may not apply today, the principle does. As we go, we must depend on God. And I could ask the question, are we depending on God? But that's sort of nebulous. So I want to make it real specific as we think about the ways that we go. Are you putting yourself in any vulnerable positions for God in the sake of His good news in your life? Are you saying anything that might bring a backlash from the world around you? Are you going anywhere or doing anything that would require God to show up and act? Putting yourself out there saying, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to obey you, but I need you if this is going to have any fruit. What I want to say is sometimes it's, it's not revolutionary. It's not always the huge things. Sometimes, like we talked about last week, it's just giving God control of our moments. Opening our eyes and looking around and saying, God, what do you have for me right here? You know, it's dangerous to preach about things like that. I preached that last week about how we've got to let God interrupt us. And last Sunday, we were having a birthday party for our oldest boy, Jaden. He turned nine last week. I ran to Fry's to get the birthday cake while Carolyn ran home to get the the party ready. So I ran in and got the cake. I was on the phone with her when I got there, ran and got the cake, and I came out to the truck. My keys are in the truck. The doors are locked, and not only that, the truck is running. (laughs) How do do you do that? I've locked keys in before, but I've never left the vehicle running. Larry has. All right, I've got a partner in crime. So I was sitting there on my truck bed, about to get really angry, and then God speaks to me. You just talked about interruptions, all right? Just watch around you, all right? And I called my brother-in-law, I asked him to come and bring my keys, because he lives close. And while I was waiting there, I sat on the back of my truck and just looked around the parking lot, see who's walking by, wondering what they're going to ask me while I'm sitting on a truck bed in a running truck. And then it starts to rain. <laughs> and so I run up to the front of Fantastic Sam's there by Fry's, and, and I'm, I'm standing under the, the, the roof there, and I see a, a mom and two, two girls come out of the, the haircutting shop. And you know how sometimes you see people, but you don't really look to see who they are. You just you see them in your periphery. Well, I'm standing there, and I just decided to look, because they were standing there a while, and I said, hey, you guys waiting for somebody too? And she said, yeah, waiting for my husband. And when she looked at me, I recognized her. It was a, a gal that I had baptized six years ago. 
She'd come to that moment in her life where she, she wanted to just take that step of obedience. And, and I said, what's going on? And she said, oh, a lot. She said, I just had brain surgery because I've been having these seizures and the brain surgery worked. But now my daughter, who's 12, has got to have a similar procedure. I said, wow, you guys got a lot going on. Definitely. Let's, let's pray about that. And uh, when, when she continued on, I, I just was like, hey, are you guys still out at the Heights Church? And she said, no, we moved away for six years and came back and don't have a church home right now. I said, where do you guys live? And she said, on spouse. <laughs> and I said, well, let me tell you about uh, the church next door, right up the road from spouse there, Granville Elementary. And I don't know if she'll come or not, but I looked at that and I'm like, yeah. I think they're there more often than we realize. We just got to let God have control. My first instinct wasn't that. My first instinct was to keep my head down and be really mad and not look at anybody because I was frustrated at myself. But, but God wants to use that. Are we allowing Him to do that? Are we depending on Him? Or have we limited our lives to safety and control of, of our stuff and our things and our schedule? Only the things that we can do on our own. See, that may feel safe and we may feel in control, but ultimately I believe if we live our lives that way, it leaves us hollow and empty. It's kind of like going back to Egypt, into slavery, because the meals were predictable. Instead of saying, God, I'll follow you into this great adventure you have for me. It may not be safe. It may get real scary at times, but man, it's meaningful. Depend on God. And then the second part was stay focused. You notice it said, do not greet anyone on the road. <laughs> now first you read that and you're like, come on. That probably bothers Eric, right? Because <laughs> Eric's our hospitality guy. <laughs> he wants to greet everybody that comes in. I'm glad he does. It's not saying what Eric does is wrong. What it is saying is, <laughs> in fact it's very important, what it is saying is back then Eastern greetings could last for days. Sometimes you'd run into a friend and they say, hey, come on over. Let's have some dinner. You wake up in the morning, let's have some breakfast. And you get ready, to, no, stay for lunch. You get ready to leave that, no, come on, just stay another night. It's, it's, it's dark already. And what, what he's saying is friends are good. Those relationships are good. But if, if you stay there and don't go to the people that need to hear about Jesus, you, you've missed part of the point of why you're here. And I say that for the church as well. We need each other. We need those friendships. We need a friendly welcome in the lobby. We need to get together and eat together and break bread. But if those things ever keep us from going outside these walls to where people need Jesus, if we stop there, Jesus would say, hey, don't let anything slow you down. All right? Third thing, when you go out, expect a mixed response from the people you share the good news with. Watch this. You're going to see two very different responses. Verse 5. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is one kind of response. They get welcomed in, right? And sometimes that happens. You take the message of Jesus and somebody's ready for it. And they're like, yeah, tell me more. Come here. I, I need that. 
That's exciting, right? But there's another kind of response. Verse 10, When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I read that and I'm like, on the one hand, wow, this, you could see this as kind of a bummer. Or you could see it as, wow, Jesus is really cool because he's preparing us for reality. He's saying some people are going to receive you and other people are not. That is just the way it is. If you believe that every person you speak to about Jesus is going to believe and walk with him and become a mature disciple who tells others, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get real discouraged really quick because that's not how it is. And you're going to start looking for the reason for the failure. Maybe you're going to look at yourself and say, I'm not gifted enough, or I I messed it up, or I said something wrong, or maybe even worse, you're going to look at God and you're going to say, God, you're failing. Neither of those is true. Jesus is just saying, this is the way it is. Expect it, but don't quit. Don't lay down and, and give up when you're not welcome. I think Jesus would say, it's a big field out there. All right, when that happens, keep spreading the word to others. And besides that, you never know what's going to happen with that seed down the road, right? We'll touch on that later. Fourth idea, to whom much is given... Much is required. Verse 12. It's a complicated three verses here. We'll read it and then we'll unpack it. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day. He's talking about judgment day. For Sodom than for that town. That town is the town that rejects the disciples and the message of Jesus. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. Now, how many of us are reading that and saying, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Uh, what, what he's doing here is he's taking three Old Testament towns and comparing them to three New Testament towns, all right? The three Old Testament towns are Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, all right? He's saying it would be more bearable for them than for towns in his day. Those are the Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because the three towns in his day all saw firsthand his miracles. They heard his message from his mouth in the mouth of his disciples. And you know what? To whom much is given, much is required. Capernaum. Listen to what one guy wrote about Capernaum. Talk about much given to Capernaum. He said, Welcome to Capernaum, the town of Jesus. No other city or town on earth was ever called the town of Jesus. No other spot on earth was graced with more sermons, more signs, or more miracles than the town of Jesus. Why do we call Capernaum the town of Jesus? Listen to Matthew 9.1. He got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Capernaum. Why did Jesus pick this small town in Galilee as his home base? 
Capernaum was witness to more of Christ's miracles than any other spot on earth. Jesus made his headquarters there. He performed more miracles, preached more sermons. Listen to some of the things that happened. Jairus' daughter, raised from the dead, healed the nobleman's son, healed the demoniac, Peter's mother-in-law, the woman with the hemorrhage, the two blind men, the centurion's servant, the dumb demoniac, and the paralytic who was lowered through the roof by his friends. A few miracles done in this town, right? There was much given there. And what Jesus is looking at these towns and saying, you saw all this, and yet many of you still reject me. Bruce Carter said, their fate will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah because they rejected a lot of truth. And here's where it gets personal. People who have heard the gospel again and again and again and have rejected Christ are in for the worst kind of punishment That's why church can be a dangerous place. These are heavy words. These are heavy words that we don't want to deal with, right? But they're here. How do we respond to this? Well, first I want to say, we thank God for His grace to those who believe. We think about the realities of hell. We thank God for His grace too. We thank God that He is a just God. What He's telling us here is the degree of punishment is not the same for the unbeliever who has had little opportunity to believe as it is for the unbeliever who has had many opportunities and rejected them. It makes sense when you think about God, right? We know there's rewards in heaven and there's, we're saved by grace through faith, but there's rewards for those who live a faithful life and there's little reward for those who squander it. Doesn't it make sense that he would also be just even in hell? You can thank God that he is just. The third response, and I sense it in the room right now, it makes us uncomfortable. Alright? It makes God uncomfortable. The Old Testament says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So what do we do with this discomfort? Some just, because I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to explain hell away. That's not the biblical response. The biblical response is, hey, I've got the message of life that people need to save them from that. I'm going to redouble my efforts in the power of the Spirit with my friends to go out and tell them the message that they need. I wrote a poem about this a couple years ago. How many people love poetry? How many people can't stand it? (laughs) We got some of both. Second group, bear with me for a minute. All right. Itching ears that long to hear the things that make them tingle. Make me take the time to write this simple little jingle. Much of truth is hard to hear, which leads us to denial. Absolutes are traded in for flash and current style. The right response to timeless words that trouble and dismay? Not flashy flips and cartwheels to explain them all away, but faithful hearts and loyal souls committed to their master. Loving and speaking words of life to save souls from disaster. That's the response. To go and take those words of life. When we think about this, we need to understand God is not playing hide and seek with people in the world, okay? He's not making it hard for people to come to Him. Listen to what Acts 17 says, verse 26. From one man He made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
Why did he appoint our time in history and where we would live? Listen to verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He puts us where we are, when we are, so that we would seek him. And it says he's not far. How many of you have heard the name Saeed Abedini? Christian pastor jailed in Iran right now for years. How many of you have heard his salvation story? There he is in the Middle East where he lived far from any word of Jesus Christ. He was a devout Muslim. He he found a Bible. And he started reading that Bible. He says that one night he was awakened three times by a voice that said, Saeed, I am coming soon. Go preach my gospel. Saeed, I am coming soon. Go preach my gospel. The third time, the voice was accompanied by a bright light shining through his window. He sat up, he said he was trembling, he was sweating, and he said, I will do it. I will do it. At that moment, the light moved away. From that point forward, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. What's that story show us? It shows us, you know what? Even if there isn't a Christian within a hundred miles, a thousand miles of here, your heart's open. I'll show you. Now that doesn't excuse us, okay? I don't want us to hear and say, all right. (laughs) I can just give him a dream because he tells us to go. I'm just telling you, God doesn't play hide and seek. If someone is open to the truth, he will bring it. To whom much is given, much is required. I want to ask us a couple questions. What have we been given? What have we in this room heard of Jesus? What have we seen him do in our lives? In the lives of others? What have we done with it? Have we believed him? Have we obeyed him? Have we shared him? Much is given, much is required. Fifth one, don't take it too personally. Whoever listens to you listens to Jesus. Whoever rejects you rejects Jesus and rejects his Father. Verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. I guess I didn't need to turn that into a point. His verse is the point, right? (laughs) He says it clearer than I did. Listen, we're ambassadors, citizens of heaven. And like a good ambassador, we carry the message of that government, of that kingdom. We, we represent Jesus Christ. And if they reject us because of the gospel that we share, I know that hurts, okay? I've seen the pain of that with our family and friends at times. It's not easy, but what we need to do is take that to Jesus and say, I know it's you they reject. I understand. Help me through this pain. But here's the deal. Hugh Halter says something that I like. (laughs) He said, A lot of people, Christians, have assumed they're suffering persecution from others because they're Christians. In truth, they're suffering because they're being arrogant religious jerks. (laughs) Okay? How many of us will admit that sometimes the reason we're rejected has nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with the fact that I'm being an idiot right now? I'm being impatient. I'm being harsh. I'm being hateful. That happens sometimes. So 
How do we discern which it is? If we're being rejected, is it Jesus or is it me? We can ask a couple questions. Hugh Halter provides these. He says, If someone who never knew anything about Christianity lived with you while you grew up and watched you live, worship, and follow Jesus, and then they had to describe what a Christian is based on the image you gave them, what might they conclude? That's one good question. Someone that watches you as you walk, what would they conclude a Christian is? Number two, if someone, maybe even one of your children, now we're talking about home, right? (laughs) That's where it's real. Someone, maybe even one of your children, was to describe Christianity based on what they'd seen in your faith over the last five years. What might they say or conclude? What is Christianity according to your life? When we wrestle with those two questions we may find the answer as to why people are rejecting us. And if it's because we reflect Christ and we're rejected for it, so be it. Let's take it to the Lord and continue on. But if there's areas where I don't reflect Christ, and I dare say, if you're like me, I've got, I've got some of both. I've got some areas where I'm reflecting Him, and I've got some others where I'm not. Let's let Him change us in the power of the Spirit. Okay? Two more. Number six, never lose sight of God's grace to you. As we go out on His mission, we must never lose sight of what Jesus did for us. Listen to what these guys say when they come back. 72, return with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Of course they're excited. They've been going through these towns. They find a demon-possessed man Come out of him in the name of Jesus and the demon would leave. Yeah, they're excited. And Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be excited about that. When we do things for Jesus, it is exciting. But what does he say? Verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying, look, no matter how awesome it is to serve me, Never put the things that you do for me above the things that I've done for you. Why would he say that? Because if we put the things that we do for Jesus above what he's done for us, pretty soon we find that we become self-driven in the things that we do. We become prideful. And we start to compare ourselves to other people. But if we always keep what Jesus has done for us, ahead of what we do for Him, you know what? It keeps us humble. Right? It keeps us filled with His love and mercy. And all of a sudden, from that spot, we're able to produce fruit in His power because it's not us. It's Him. I read a book by Darren Patrick one time about church planting. And he said, one of the most important questions any church planter needs to answer, and I would say, really, any of us who minister in the name of Jesus... When is the last time what Jesus did for you made you weep? When's the last time it made you weep that He went to the cross for you and poured out His blood because He loved you and forgave you? He asked that question because anybody who ministers from anything but that is ministering for the wrong reason. That's what we minister from. I am saved by grace, through faith, by the blood of Jesus. He loved me unconditionally. He accepts me wholeheartedly because of what He did. I can rest in that 
Now I can go serve because I'm not trying to earn his favor. He did that for me. I can pass on that mercy because I've held on to it myself and said thank you. Never lose sight of God's grace to you. Last but not least, thank God for making the truth clear to you and pray he would reveal it to others. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Who revealed it to his disciples? The Father. Right. All these things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. It is God that makes the truth clear to us, and it is God who can make the truth clear to those that we share it with. You know what this does as we go out and share? It frees us up. It takes some of the pressure off. We're seed scatterers, right? As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, What is Apollos, one of his friends? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. It's God who makes that truth come to life for people. I had a friend in town named George Pritchard. Many of you know him. Good friend. He's done a lot of good work in the counseling field in this area from a Christian perspective. One time, he shared with me a quote. I I had shared with him about someone I had been working with and that had walked away from the Lord. And I was really bummed. And and he understood that I was bummed, but he sensed that I was taking some of it on to me too much. And he asked me a question. He said... When someone does well with the Lord and goes out and shares with other people, do you take the glory for that? I said, no, that's God's work. He said, then why would you take the guilt when they walk away? I said, thank you, George. (laughs) I needed that. That lightened my soul. It's God that makes things grow. It's not me. It's not you. A couple things just to review. Don't go it alone. Keep praying for God to send back up. Depend on God and stay focused. Expect a mixed response. To whom much is given, much is required. Don't take it personally. Whoever listens to you listens to Jesus. Whoever rejects you rejects Jesus. Never lose sight of God's grace to you. And thank God for making the truth clear to you. And pray that He would make it clear to those you share with. One final quote from William Booth. Who of you know who William Booth is. He founded Salvation Army. That's right. He said this, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell 
And here the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Father, I thank you for these passages. They're not comfortable, and yet they're exciting because we're here for a reason. These 72 went out and prepared the way for you with your message. Luke wrote that, and he would later write that, that we are sent into all the world to make disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Father, I pray for your power as we go. I pray for your encouragement. Lord, I want us to walk out of here excited that you invite us to be a part of this. Indeed, you command it. And Lord, yes, yes, there are parts of it that are hard. But the joy that comes along with it, the, the meaning, the purpose, when we see people cross over from death to life and from hopelessness to hope, from addiction to freedom, from lostness to finding you, it's all worth it and then some, Lord. It's especially when we look to you, Jesus. The length you went. Your body was broken. Your blood was poured out to forgive us. And we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the cross. Let us start there and find our forgiveness there and claim it and and rejoice in it and go out from that place to share that message with a world that needs it. In Jesus' name, amen.